Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Gardner Menchie joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Gardner, thanks for the time. How are you? Hey, John. How you doing? Gardner, how you doing, man? I'm all good, man. I'm all good. Getting yourself acclimated to Indianapolis right. quite all right? Yeah. No, getting up here, you know, shaking shaking all the babies, kissing all the hands, everything <laughs> you got to do. Are people recognizing you? Have you been out very much at all, or is it just between wherever uh, you're yeah, staying and a the complex? Times, um but it's typically always the deal. It's like, hey, does anybody ever tell you you look like Gardner Minshew? And I say yes all the time. And then they just get a little confused, you know? <laughs> do, you, do, you let, do you finally say, you know, that's who I am, or do you let them continue to guess about it? Well, it depends usually how awkward the silence gets. Um, <laughs> but, you know, depends on the day, I guess. Here's uh, Gardner Menchu of the Colts, the quarterback of the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So how do you feel about this new location? Obviously with somebody you know very well and Shane Steichen as the head coach, but what was your feeling when you were brought in here this offseason? Yeah, just super excited, man. Really, really grateful for the opportunity from Coach Steichen and, and uh, Chris Ballard here. I'm excited to get in here. Been meeting all the guys. Everybody's been awesome. Just really, really enjoying just getting to work with them, getting to know everybody. Um, really excited for for what we got going. What kind of relationship do you have? I'm assuming with Shane, it's it's really good. But how have has that developed um, over? I guess the short term past that relationship you now have with your head coach, formerly your OC. Yeah, no, it's been great. I mean, this is going on year three with Shane. I mean, in NFL years that's like a million you know so really really feel like we're gelling i understand you know how he sees the game he kind of understands what i am as a player and things i can do and i think we should have great open and honest communication and um like i said i'm just extremely grateful to be here and to be working with him he's gardner Minshew with us i think gardner they they had talked about when the signing was made that you were going to come in here i think shane said that actually and compete i i honestly i can't think of you doing anything else but that it seems like wherever you go you probably want a level of competition and fun as a part of it right Competition's pretty damn fun to you i would guess yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, pretty much everybody that plays this game, you know, that, that's one of the reasons you want to do it. You want to be challenged. You want to challenge yourself to really see how good you can be. And I, I'm excited to be in here, um, you know, with the new challenge that we're about to face and try to overcome it together and get where we want to go. Did you think that when, you know, first of all, when you look at what your odyssey has been, you know, through college, whether it's, you know, obviously Mississippi, East Carolina, Washington State, you know, into the NFL, did you ever think that it was going to be as lengthy and as enjoyable an odyssey for you as this has been, Gardner, to this point? Um, I don't know. You know, I always thought there's a chance, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's why I transferred everywhere and tried to find a spot and was just always, you know, looking for opportunity. Um, you know, I always thought if I if I just gave myself a chance, if I ever got a chance, that I'd be able to take advantage. I've been, you know, just super, super fortunate to be given opportunities and uh, to be trusted by these coaches and, um, you know, look forward to just continue 
to working and earning more chances. How many times have people recognized you in that building as the dude in Jacksonville that normally had done in this Colts team? I mean, you have played really well against this team in the past. That's constantly brought up, at least on my show. Have you heard about that since you've been signed here? Uh, no, but it's it's really cool to be, you know, seeing guys that, you know, played against for, for, for a while and have a ton of respect for as players, you know, getting to know them as people and, um, you know, really just starting to gel. It's, it, it's really cool, you know, having – having competed against so many of these guys. Seems like you have fun, and Gardner Menchu joins us wherever you go. Is there a time when you don't? Are you always just kind of like this? Because I think this is refreshing. Uh, like, this is how I would want to be like you, just having fun, <laughs> competing, and doing that through life, which can be a pain in the ass at times. But for you, it never seems like it is. Yeah, you know, you always got your ups and downs. But I tell you, the one thing, you know, really tried to adopt in my football career is every day just show up. Try to get better and have fun. And if, if you do those two things, you know, I, I truly believe you're going to end up where, you, where you're supposed to be, you know. So try to enjoy every day. Enjoy the people you're around. I mean, there's there's so many um, things I feel like we often take for granted. You know, so many times we forget how cool being an NFL player is um, and how it's, you know, what you've dreamed about since you are a little kid and, you know, really having it here and trying to enjoy it um, has been a you know, big part of my my time here. Yeah, Gardner Minshew is with us. I, I have a philosophy, which it's tough to end up attaining. It's, it's, I try to live hassle-free or as hassle-free as possible. Um, and I do that by trying to maintain a, a level of enjoyment and fun. And you mentioned that is so much of the battle right there is every day you enjoy clearly what you do. I enjoy what I do. And you enjoy being around people. And that is so much of the battle when you're living day-to-day as an NFL quarterback or, you know, some clown in the afternoon on the radio like me yeah no that, that, that's part of it because like you said there's always going to be hard times you know but that doesn't mean you know that everything sucks and, and you can't dig yourself out of it and you can't enjoy it and you can't still enjoy the people around you you know yeah, it's uh, Gardner Minshew, Colts quarterback. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, I wanted to get to this because obviously a tough moment in your life was the loss of your former coach, Mike Leach. What, what did he mean to you overall? Uh, what did he set as a standard for you that I'm sure you maintain to a, a high degree today? Um, man, that's, that's, that's a tough question. One of the, I'd say one of the biggest things, just taken away from Coach Leach and being with him and the person that he was, you know, um, is he was always himself every day. Showed up full throttle, Mike Leach, that's what you're getting. You know, no apologies. But I think everybody around him could respect how genuine, authentic he was. You know, even if you disagreed sometimes with the things he said or some of the things he did, you know that was just him, you know. And I think uh, feeling okay about being yourself in any situation and circumstance uh, it's a great thing that I, you know, I try to carry with me still today. Yeah, it it, it is amazing how it, it seems like the philosophy that you talked about a little bit earlier is the philosophy that Mike Leach portrayed, and that's some of the traits that we're talking about that you took away and, and you live by right now. And that makes, I'm assuming, your relationship when you look back on it even extra special because you hold so many of those traits. Yeah, no, that's what um, you know. Me and Coach Leach, I feel like we really, really hit it off. Um, Pretty early on, you know, I think we we saw things in a lot of you know a lot of the same ways, and um, yeah, there, there, there's countless lessons that 
you know, I'll always try to, you know, remember and hold on to entertain that uh, Coach Leach taught me. And, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, me among many, many people are so grateful you know, just for the guy that he was. And no doubt. Gardner Menchu at the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I actually saw this a little bit earlier and retweeted it, but is there any chance we might end up getting an Indianapolis sequel of La Flama Blanca from 2021? I'm, I'm kind of looking for a sequel right here. You think you got La one in you? La Blanca, huh? Yeah. I'm telling you what, I was digging it. I mean, I, I dig a dude that just goes around in his shirtless and going through stuff like that because I'd like to go through life shirtless myself. Now, nobody around me would dig that, but I would like that. I do. I think no, you I mean, need a sequel to it. Well, we've been getting some good sunny weather out here, so I tell you, there's <laughs> definitely a chance. You know, we're going to be getting some uh, hot white flames flying around here. You, know? <laughs> you, uh, you still into that? I mean, the video aspect of it, you know, enjoying the time, musically speaking. What do you do besides what maybe we don't know or what we haven't seen? What do you like to do in your leisure time of enjoyment? Because it probably is very fascinating to folks. <laughs> yeah, real fascinating, I'm sure. I, I play a little guitar. I like to read. I like to cook. Love being outside, hiking, hunting, fishing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm typically not one to just sit still too often. <laughs> but, all right, uh, guitar-wise, who, who's your all-time favorite guitarist? Uh, Jimi Hendrix. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, he's the best. And then, because I'm, I'm a blues guy, I guess, you know, especially coming from Mississippi. Right. Um, you know, then you get into all the B.B. King, you know, John Lee Hooker, all that kind of stuff is fine. But I'd say probably Jimmy Hendrix. Are you a big John Mayer guy? Uh, I, I respect John Mayer. I like his uh, Dead & Co. Um, right. You know, I'm, a, I'm a big Grateful Dead guy, so the Dead & Co. stuff's pretty pretty great. I might try to get out and see them this summer. Well, you, you need to, and you need to check in with us. Because we, we can make that happen for you. Here's the other thing that's funny. So I uh, a friend of mine who is our, uh, he is, uh, our betting analyst, uh, he also is a part of Heaven Hill Distillery. His name is Brent Holverson, and you mentioned you're a big dead head big dead fan he is maybe the biggest dead fan around here i mean to the mm-hmm. point where he's got a campground up uh up 69 i-69 toward anderson called mystic waters and he's big time deadhead we got to get you guys together because i think you guys would gel on that particular level not yeah, only with I, that but with the heaven like hill distillery camp. stuff yeah, it sounds like Camp Misty Waters on I-69. That's where some stuff goes down. Sounds like a good time, for sure. <laughs> I will tell you this. It, it does go down there. <laughs> it goes down there. It goes down there all the time. Now, how often are you playing the guitar when you have the time? Oh, every day. Every day. Doesn't mean I'm any good, but I try to touch it every day. All right. Uncle Rico, that reference, you still hear about that a lot? Oh, not quite as much, but, you know, every once in a while, uh, it's always always good. Did you ever um, hear from Uncle Rico when that thing was at its peak? Yeah, man, we actually did a, uh, did like a little ESPN segment, and he came down with the van and everything to Jacksonville. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I met him, and I was like, man, you know, I'm about to take a road trip after the season. He's like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, you come out to L.A., hit me up. I got some crazy friends. Okay. Now his um his his name is John Grise, I believe, right? That's the actor's name. Did you make friends with him? Do you still know him? Uh, we haven't been in touch, you know. 
Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's no love lost there. Definitely isn't on my end. So. Well, you got to uh, – man, you got to get out there. That sounds like that would be up your alley going out there and hanging out with friends in Southern California. It sounds like it, right? <laughs> so, Gardner Minshew of the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, off the field, the most fun that you have had. Most fun that you have had because of what you've accomplished on the field but off the field. And I hope – I'm assuming there's a really good story behind it someplace. What would it be? Just most fun, like yeah, in general. It doesn't have to be sports related. Just kind of a holy crap, this is great kind of deal here. Um, I don't know. I'm a big road trip guy, so that was like after I guess my second or third year. It took like a three or four week road trip across the country in an RV. That was pretty great. Did some skiing, did some hiking, uh, got all out and about. That that's typically when I'm in my element, I guess. Now, do um, do the the teams dig it because you have all these like skiing and hiking and things like that that you like to do as well, or do you curb that whenever uh, uh, no, you're I, a part I, of this? I definitely, I, I definitely curb that, um, you know. But the way our contracts, you know, if we get hurt doing anything outside of football, you know, you're not covered. So if you get in a car wreck, if you trip walking down the street, you know, so it's really you know just being smart when you're. Uh, you know, kind of being dumb. Yeah, he is. Uh, <laughs> Gardner Menchus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. What do you think about this team that's around you, that's all new to you right now? Yeah, no, I think um, the awesome thing about the NFL, you know, every year is a, a blank slate, you know, and just getting in here and meeting the guys. And, you know, you see a lot of guys that have played good ball, a lot of guys that are good people that want to win and want to do the right things. Uh, and I think when you have a, guy, a group of guys like that, you know, you can achieve a lot of things. So, I mean, seems like a hungry group. You know, really excited just to get out there and compete with them. Let me tell you this. Even hungrier than the group is the fans around here. Uh, before I let you go, I was curious about this, Gardner. Shane Steichen is pretty much all ball all the time. Uh, when you talk to him, does do you know of anything that he enjoys outside of – coaching football because if there is something i don't know what the hell it is because it's all about ball all the time with him when i talk to him but is there anything else that you might know that we don't i don't know man i'll, I'll try to get some soup for you but uh <laughs> just... dude, he, he he does love ball man it's crazy um but that's what you wanted you, you know from your coach you got it yeah you know is in it as much as you are you know and then some and i, I think when you get a bunch of guys like that together you know, you can really do some special things. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. That's and and really, there's no pulling of the punches there. That's exactly how he is. It's it seems like it's football and football twenty four seven three six five, and that's who he is. And you're right. I'm assuming as a player, you know, your teammates. That's exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, and then that, that that's it. You know, you want to look around. You know, and after all the work you put in, you want everybody else to be there with you. You know, what I'm saying you want everybody else knowing that they've checked their boxes and done everything they can to be ready. Um, so when you all match up like that, I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. All right, so we need uh, some deadhead conversations at Mystic Waters at some point here. Up I-69, by the way, too, right. which is pretty right. funny. And we got to get you out fishing somewhere, too. I don't know if you have been so far, but it really close to where you are right now at the complex, Eagle Creek Reservoir is not far away, so you can probably get over there and do it, too. Oh, yeah, right down the road. Yeah. Man, 
Yeah. Listen, it's very awesome to have you here. Certainly thrilled with the fan base to have you here. And I was waiting on the conversation, and uh, I appreciate you being on here and uh, being as uh, enjoyable conversationally as you are. The best of luck moving forward, and probably the next time we talk is during training camp, man. The best of luck. Keep going at it. And uh, please, if you get the opportunity, man, check in with us. We'd love to have you back on again. Heck yeah, man. I uh, really appreciate you having me and can't wait for this season. You got you. Thank you, Gardner. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. We know where she's going to be in the WNBA for the Indiana Fever, the seventh overall selection in the 2023 WNBA draft. From IU, Grace Berger joins us now. Hello, Grace. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I am so happy for you. That was so awesome. I know. I, I you, you got up, and I was kind of curious when you got up after you heard your name called did did I mean? How, what was your initial thought? I mean, it was it was surprise. I'm assuming you knew it was going to happen, but it it, uh, it was cool. Your reaction. I mean, it wasn't you know, you know over emotional. It was just kind of like wow, and you were just trying to soak up the experience. Is what it looked like. What did it feel like to you? Yeah, um, I mean, it was a, a super nerve wracking. <laughs> Um, experience from from the jump. Um, I didn't sleep a whole lot the night before. Uh, I felt like I was shaking all day, so I had never been that nervous for a game or anything. So um, it was a little out of character for me. Um, and then, I mean, you know, I knew I, I was probably going to hear my name called, but you never know, you know, until it actually happens, uh, what it's going to feel like. Um, and I think, you know, I was just a lot of emotions. Um, but the biggest one was just, you know, super grateful because that's something, you know, I've been watching WNBA drafts since I was a little girl. Um, and to obviously be there with my family and the coaches and the people that have worked so hard to get me here. Um, it was just a lot of a lot of really good emotion. When you uh, looked at your family around you, did that help you kind of break up a little bit? Because to, to me, and obviously just watching you play, I mean, you, you're pretty calm, cool, and collected in any situation was that one that maybe kind of got away from you just a little bit because you look at your family this is this huge moment that you've dreamt about for so many years did that kind of catch you a little bit yeah it definitely did I I, you know I most of the time am cool calm and collected on the court but I definitely was not um, at the draft before I heard my name called Um, and I think my, my parents were kind of the same way a lot of nerves but um, you know, just to be there with them, like, I, I, I'm just so grateful. And I think it's something that um, we all accomplished together. It wasn't just me. Um, it was my parents. My sister was there. And, and then obviously Coach Moore in Indiana was there as well. So, um, you know, we all kind of shared it in the, on those emotions. And it was just a moment I'll never forget. So Grace Berger of the Indiana Fever, the seventh overall selection in a couple of days ago, the WNBA draft from IU on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. When did you find out that uh, you were going to be the Fever selection at number seven? Was it at that moment or a couple of minutes prior? But when did you know? Um, I found out with the rest of the world. I found oh, really? out. Um, yeah, as soon as everyone else did. We had no idea. Uh, I knew it was 
you know, I was hoping it would have been a, a possibility. I was hoping, obviously, that I'd get to stay close in a state that, that means so much to me. But, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, truly had no idea. Wow. I, see, that even impresses me more because I thought you were really calm when your name was called. Uh, and considering it was Indiana and considering it was number seven and you didn't know, I'm even more impressed where, you, you know, you kind of keep your nerves down a little bit. Because I, I thought maybe from your reaction, you might have known a little bit, but you didn't. That's impressive. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I'm not a super um, emotional person. I don't really show my emotions very much. So, um you know, in that moment, I was definitely emotional and, and very excited, whether I showed it or not. So, Grace Berger with us. Do You you mentioned you've grown up watching the Fever and you've watched WNBA games. Do you watch all of basketball? Will you sit down and watch basketball, whether it's, you know, collegiate, NBA, you know, WNBA, whatever? We sit down and watch that over other stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, people ask me all the time how I – you know, get away from basketball when I'm not on the court. But uh, the truth is I never really get away from basketball. I'm always watching it, whether that's um, NBA, men's college basketball, obviously women's college basketball, and WNBA in the summer. Um, It's just what I love to do. I mean, I love the game so much. I love the X's and O's. I love um, everything about it. So in my free time, I don't really get away from basketball. I I always have it on the TV. Who are some of your favorites to watch? If you're going to sit down and, I mean, really be intent upon – paying attention because you just seem like somebody that is is always trying to hone the craft there whether you know it's with a basketball in your hand or just kind of studying it but who would you watch to really pay attention to that you like and and you respect and enjoy watching in the game of basketball um i mean i would say a lot of point guards are are who i really enjoyed watching i'm obviously point guard myself um so i like to learn different things sabrina unescu um obviously everyone knows that name is someone i've loved watching since you know she was in high school and i was you know in middle school uh, just the way she she handles the ball the way she makes read the, the way she passes so um, i always turn it on when when she's playing i go back and watch film on her uh, and just try to take take little things from her game um, as well as i can I mentioned this too. It always seems like that you're either paying attention, watching, or you're you're playing. When you were growing up, when you were much much younger, and this basketball love, this joy that you have was being formed, were you somebody that would come home, get off the school bus, or whatever, and grab a basketball and go out and shoot without being told? Yeah, that was definitely me. I had to. My parents actually had to force me to come in because. <laughs> Um, I'd be dribbling in the in the basement at like 1 a.m. and waking my brother up, waking my whole family up. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was obsessed with it. I was completely ate up with the game. I, I loved it um, from an early age. So uh, my dad put a hoop out in the driveway, and I'd make him make him rebound for me, whether it was raining, snowing, 30 degrees outside, whatever. He he'd be out there with me. So. Uh, I definitely, you know, was one of those that had to be forced to come inside. Grace, as your game evolved, what did you concentrate or what do you think you concentrated the most on to hone it as to get you to be? Because you sound like a person that's never going to be satisfied. You're always going to be working at it to get better. But what did you work on the most that helped you get to the position you were in and being drafted seventh overall the other night? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to – um, pinpoint a specific skill because I, you know, one of the things that I pride myself on is being 
multidimensional being someone that you know has a unique skill set and that they can they can rebound they can play defense they can play on both sides of the ball they can score um, handle the ball and pass so um, I've always worked on you know everything really I mean there's never been one thing I specifically worked on I think a big thing um, in college that, that really helped me out was was my conditioning getting in the weight room um, at IU that's a, a really big piece of what we do and something that can really separate you from others so um, I would say that's probably the biggest thing that's helped me, but, um, you know, really I'm, I'm always focusing on, on pretty much every skill you could possibly think about in my workouts. It's uh, Grace Berger of the Indiana Fever on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So is are you going to be specifically a point guard? Might you move around a little bit in the backcourt with the Fever or because it's so darn early, you got the radio host asking you stuff that you simply don't know yet. What do you think? Yeah, you'll have to ask um, Coach Sides that question. Uh, I'll be happy to do whatever she wants me to do. Uh, you know, I, I played three three different positions in college, so I feel like, you know, whatever position I get thrown into in a game, uh, I have experience there, so um, I'll be confident no matter where I'm at. Did you think in that draft that that could have been you going to the fever at seven? Because I, I don't know how it works compared to, for example, the NBA draft or the NFL draft. Did they did they do any conversations with you? Were they interested? Could you tell? Were other teams interested maybe that you could tell? How did all that work leading up to you being drafted? Yeah, so um, the past two weeks has just been a lot of calls, um, a lot of Zoom calls with, with different coaches, with different GMs. Um, you know, getting to know them, them getting to know myself and, um, you know, just, just talking about their different franchises and, um, you know, talking about myself, getting to know me. So, um, you know, I certainly knew Fever were interested. Uh, I saw them at a lot of my games this year. Obviously, we're, we're close to the road or close to, to Indy and Coach Dunn is um, really close to Coach Moran at IU. So um, they were there for a lot of games. I knew there was interest, but um, you know, like I said earlier, you never know uh, truly what's going to happen until you hear your name called. Mm. So Grace Berger is with us. I want to get back to your career at IU, and you mentioned, you know, how much Terry Moore and your head coach in Bloomington means to you, certainly your teammates down there. When you have a moment to reflect on your collegiate career, how does that make you feel considering what you see in your rear view that you were so important as a piece to help build this thing foundationally on how successful and popular basketball has become with the women in mind in Bloomington? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I haven't even really had time to to reflect on, on my college career a whole lot because, you know, in the women's games, it's such a quick turnaround. You, you lose an NCAA tournament, and then the next day you're talking to WNBA teams and preparing for the draft. So uh, it's kind of been a whirlwind, but... Um, to you know, to say I'm grateful for the experience is definitely an understatement. Um, I loved everything about my my time in Indiana. I loved everything about Coach Moore, and um, I think you know what what probably made me the the most proud, and what I'll you know look at for for many years and just be so grateful for was the crowd support, was the community, um, the community of Bloomington, but really the whole state. Um, just seeing how excited they they grew to be about women's basketball. Um, not just at IU, but but the different colleges across Indiana, and obviously the professional level with the Fever. Um, to see people, you know, to see a couple thousand people in the stands my freshman year back in 2018, to see a, a packed full assembly hall um, this year, you know, multiple times, not just one or two, but multiple times for multiple games. 
Um, I mean, that that's unbelievable. That doesn't happen everywhere for women's basketball. So uh, I think just being a part of that rise was what was, you know, ultimately most special to me. I was going to ask you that, too, and Grace Berger joins us. I mean, when you got there and you, you were there as a freshman, did you ever envision the popularity of your team and that program getting to the point to where you saw it? And you mentioned a couple of packed houses at Assembly Hall. Did you think as a freshman that it would reach that level as you were there on campus playing for the Hoosiers? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I think I, I think I did. Um, I grew up in, in Louisville, and um, if you know anything about Louisville women's basketball, there's, there's a lot of fans that go to those games, and I never understood why – um, you know, IU women's basketball didn't have that same support, didn't have those 12,000 people every night coming to the game. Um, and I always just, just thought it was a possibility. And Coach Morin um, obviously, you know, realized that it was a possibility as well. People are crazy about basketball in Indiana. I think it was just a matter of, you know, exposing more people to, to Indiana women's basketball and what we were all about. Um, obviously winning helped, uh, making the Elite Eight, making Sweet 16s, but – uh, I think, you know, once once those people uh, kind of first got exposed to, to IU women's basketball, what we were all about, um, what Coach Morin, you know, pr- made the program, I think uh, they, they wanted to come back for more. So it wasn't just people coming for one or two games and never coming again. Um, they came, they, they realized what we were all about and um, how exciting we were, how exciting of a product women's basketball is, and, and they, they're going to keep coming back hopefully uh, for a long time down the road. Did you uh, understand and get the vision of Terry Morin pretty quickly once you got on campus in Bloomington? Yeah, I mean, I did the, I, I did before I got on campus, just hearing her talk um, in interviews, and then obviously during the recruiting process. Um, Indiana meant a lot to her. She's, she's obviously from Seymour right down the road. So um, I think I could just see how important it was for her. I could see how determined she was. Um, and if you ever meet Coach Moore and, you know, once she puts her mind to something, she's going to accomplish it. You can tell just from talking to her um, just because of, you know, how, how hard work working she is, how competitive she is, and just how motivated of a, a human being she is. So, um, you know, she convinced me pretty quickly when I was about 16 years old and, and I was fully convinced and, and just fully invested to give everything I had to, to accomplishing, you know, her vision. It's uh, Grace Berger of the Indiana Fever, kind enough to join us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. This may be a little bit more rough to revisit, but how long did it take you getting over that loss to Miami? Um, I think it's going to take a, a lot longer than just the, the couple weeks that it's been. Um, that one, that you know, but with the with the goals we had in mind, that one's probably going to sting for a while. Yeah, I wonder too because again, we we've talked about and remarked about how you're you're cool and calm and collected, and I mean you can't really tell most of the time when you're on the floor whether or not you're you're losing or winning. I mean that's just kind of how you know balanced you are with that emotion in mind. But at the same time, it would seem the high level of competitor that you are that that would be a tough one. Still, you probably still grasp and grapple with that a little bit right now, don't you? I am. I mean, you know, definitely anytime your, your college career comes to an end, I think it's an emotional thing. But, um, you know, for someone like myself that's just had such a great experience there, um, and IU means so much to me. Um, it means everything to me, um, you know, from, from, from the staff to, to the players to the entire athletic department, um, Scott Dolson, the athletic director, everyone. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, a place that's near and dear to my heart. 
Um, but at the end of the day, obviously winning isn't everything. Um, so I think I, that loss, you know, stings and is going to for probably the rest of my life. But I think, you know, I can look back on my time at Indiana and really just be grateful for, for all that we did accomplish as opposed to, you know, sulking on those things that we that we didn't accomplish. Did you watch the the rest of the tournament? Did you watch the national championship game? Uh, honestly, no. I'm I'm too you know competitive. I was too um, upset about the loss still to even to even tune in. So um, I kept up with the scores, obviously, but but I wasn't able to turn on the TV and watch it. One of the reasons why I asked that is, and and you can still I think clearly answer this even without have watched that as you mentioned. The the growth and the popularity of the women's game, it seemed right. to, and you know, your time at IU, certainly what you built foundationally down there, but you can just see it around the nation. So many more people are, you know, actively involved in watching and paying attention and being interested in this. It seems like now more than ever. Is that something you can see as well? Oh, absolutely. I think it's just a matter of, of getting that exposure, getting more you know, media attention, getting more television broadcasts for the women's game and just, you know, it, exposing people to the game. Um, I mean, it's something that I've loved since, since for as long as I can remember. I always thought, I always knew um, how exciting of a product it was, how many great, um, extraordinary, extraordinary athletes you had in this game um, that spent so much time perfecting their craft. And, it, and it's just so fun to watch. I mean, it's a great product. Um, so I don't think it's anything – you know, wrong with the product. I think it's just a matter of continuing to get more and more exposure um, so more and more people can, you know, ultimately see how exciting um, it truly is. So, Grace Berger from IU, a member of the Indiana Fever, before I let you go, um, are you excited about teaming up with Aaliyah Boston, who was the number one overall selection of your team, the Indiana Fever? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Who wouldn't be excited about, about being Aaliyah Boston's teammate? Um, I was able to play with her a little bit at USA basketball um, two, two summers ago. Um, and I think obviously, you know, you realize how special of a player um, she is. It's not hard to, to see that if you turn on a game very quickly. Uh, she's great in the post. She, she makes other players a lot better. She makes everyone out there's life easier. Uh, but I think, you know, what I'm most excited about is the person that she is off the court. She's, she's a genuine person, uh, a person that I can't wait for, for Indiana women's basketball fans to, to get to meet and get to see um, just how how great of a human being she is. I mean, she's someone that that I think is is really going to thrive in Indianapolis, and I'm I'm thrilled to kind of show her around and just thrilled that she gets to be um, an ambassador for women's basketball in our community. When's your season start? The season will start um, like the middle of May. The training okay. camp will be um, the end of April. Uh, you get a chance to. To do anything at all, I, I, like I'm sitting here right now thinking I'm going to ask you to get a chance to get away from it from a moment, but I I don't think you ever get away from it, so probably not, right? <laughs> no, not really. Um, I took a couple of days off after the season. I was able to take you know four or five days off, but I don't want to stay away from the game too long. So um, I'll go up uh, Monday. Um, get my physical and then, and then get to work after that. Awesome. I'm very happy for you. I mean, really am. I love what you have helped build down in Bloomington with the women's program that will continue after you. Now, I'm assuming you've heard from all of your teammates, those that are still in Bloomington, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. They had a watch party and, and they're super supportive, so they're excited to come to games for sure. Is uh, When is Sydney Parrish going to make a video of you sometime and put it on TikTok? I'm excited about that. 
TikTok yeah, video? I'm not a big- Big TikTok person, but I'm sure Sydney will figure out a way to get me in one. Well, I think she does like every one of the social media outlets, right? So, I mean, oh, I, yeah, she's yeah, she's great at it. She's into it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, maybe she'll get me in a TikTok one of these days. I bet you will. I'm betting. Hey, congratulations on being the number seven overall selection and being a part of this Fever team. And I'm sure we'll talk with you further down the road. But the best of luck and and congratulations on all the success so far, Grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Any more automotive group hotline, WTHR.com, Locked On Pacers, Forbes Sports, SI Pacers, and all that crap. Tony East is with us on this Wednesday. I mean, absolutely all of it. I I mentioned this, uh, Tony, a little bit earlier, actually even yesterday before Kevin Pritchard uh, got in front of the local media. Uh, This is a huge offseason. In terms of the Colts, because of what they're trying to do at the quarterback position, clearly not as big. But I'm going to tell you, for the shaping of a team that we want to see long-term have a high level of success, this is not too far behind, is it not, this Pacers offseason? Absolutely critical. You're off, you're right on it, JMB. And it's it's a tricky one because, you know, this is what Pritchard was talking about yesterday. Of they're trying to figure out the, the exact perfect next step for this team. Do they feel like they're, they're still adding more to the foundation before they build the walls and the roof? Or are they ready to – you know, start putting up some of the walls on this team, right? Because they had such a successful first year of this build or second year, whatever time you want to put put on this new era of this team. But, you know, it, it's really tricky to figure out for them what the exact right timeline is, right? Or what, what piece could be a foundational piece versus, a, I hate to say a wall piece. This all sounds silly, but you get what I'm saying in that, you know, for them to take the next step, they have to figure out how fast they're willing to try to get better. And if you go too fast, you could end up with egg on your face, but it could end up being the perfect move to push this team forward. And the reason it's so tricky is because they might not have this many assets in one summer again for a while in terms of cap space and draft picks and all sorts of tradable things. So uh, it's a very critical offseason for them to figure out exactly what they want to do and how they're going to do it. How do you think you, you have a guess – a judgment on how do you think they're going to approach it? Uh, in particular, trying to find, and again, it's easier said than done, that wing that can be a threat and also just at times throw a little bit of resistance in in terms of guarding on the wing or out front. Is that what they look for first, you think, in trying to make this team better? 100%. That is. That's been their biggest hole since, my goodness, Thaddeus Young probably was was that answer for them in 2017-18. And, you know, when Pritchard was asked what he felt like their biggest positional need or or whatever was, he described how they talk about positions, but he called it basically a four or like a hybrid kind of three-four type who can be that level of force. And when you combine it with, you know, what we've heard from Rick Carlisle and the players and Pritchard about the skills they need, Someone who can defend and rebound well at that position would just be exactly what this team needs. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to watch the team and know that, right? They were dead last in defense after the All-Star break this season. Last year, they were 29th after the All-Star break. Like They just have been atrocious on defense for a significant portion of the last two seasons. They have to get better 
on that end for this team to get better. And so the question becomes, right, do you want to draft that guy or do you want to get an established guy? And how do you want to do that? And I think that's where a lot of their questions about the methods will come into play, right? Pritchard talked about trying to have those two kind of uh, goals run parallel to each other between, you know, adding to your foundation and, and also adding a big piece that could make you way better and, and make your win total much higher than 35 next year. That, that's hard to do, but they have the stuff to do it. It's just making sure they identify the right pieces or the right fit because you're absolutely right. That is the position they need to add. The question is, should that player be good right this second or someone who might be better in a few years? Uh, Tony East on the Pacers with us via the Andy Moore on a Motive Group hotline on this glory, glorious, sunshiny day here in, in central Indiana. Uh, he did mention yesterday as well you know, two big trade deadline I don't want to say options because it didn't happen, but scenarios, I guess, is what he had up there. Do we fair a guess that Ananobi in Toronto might have been maybe a site set there? you have any other idea what maybe what he was talking about? We love talking about it, but we just don't have any answers. Do you? He mentioned that after the trade deadline as well. Look, I don't I don't know who it was. I would I anyone I say is a complete guess, but cool. I will say if you may name it. If you made me make those guesses, Ananobi would, in fact, be one of the two guesses, just given what everybody was reporting, what the Raptors' direction appeared to be, what the Pacers needed. And I guess Mikael Bridges would have been my second guess with the Nets, uh, you know, the exact type of guy that, after the Pacers' injury riddle last few seasons, right, he played 83. That's not a misspeak. He got traded to a team that had played fewer games. So Mikael Bridges played 83 games this season. Those would be my two guesses. But, again, that is just guesses. But, yeah, they tried to, as he said – make an aggressive move for some big talent at the deadline. And the other thing Pritchard said that, that relates to that is he said he's itchy, right, to make that kind of move at some point, if it's the right move, of course. So we'll see what kind of aggression level they have or if the right offer is even there this summer. But if you made me guess, those would be the two players. I, I love guess. Mikhail Bridges, by the way. I do. Uh-huh. He is awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, a lot of people are going to learn about what he can do in this playoffs, too, because his Nets made it. Yeah, well, I mean, it has been – he, he to me, he offers what – the Pacers do need. I mean, he can he can score now without an issue consistently, but he can also get out there, and he's got a passion for playing defense. And when I say that, people kind of laugh because we laugh about defense all the time, but that type of player <laughs> is exactly what is necessary for this Pacers team. Yeah, he he would be an excellent – I mean, Ananobi's the same way. He's a, I, like This sounds cruel to Ananobi because he's a talented player, but he's like – Slightly worse at everything than Mikael Bridges, but he's still a fantastic player and is that kind of guy who doesn't necessarily need the ball all the time to be awesome and loves to defend and can actually, you know, give fits to these giant wing players that are just terrorizing, you know, teams in the in the postseason. Right? We saw yesterday the best players in the playing game were like Jay. Obviously, the Hawks had a couple of contributors. Where Jalen Johnson was awesome, Jimmy Butler, LeBron. Anthony Edwards was not very good, but no. you know they got Kyle Anderson having a good game. Right, these bigger forwards are just very important, right? And slowing them down at the same time is important if you can. So Tony East on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, I, I've also brought this up too, uh, and I, maybe I end up being a bit hypocritical in terms of how I want to see this team built going into next year. But I look at both Buddy Heald and T.J. McConnell as contracted players with this team right now as essential pieces now and moving forward a lot of people want to disagree and when i bring up 
defense. I'll add the fact that neither are great at doing that, and especially Buddy Heald. <laughs> but they do bring to this team things that are very difficult to locate in really any era of the NBA, much less this one. Do you believe them to be as essential to this team's success moving forward as I do? If they're going to try to be, you know, go for whatever – 45 to 50 wins next year and be in the playoff field. Yeah, they're, they're important pieces in that way, right? Like some of the Pacers' best basketball was played down the stretch of the season with McConnell on, on the floor. He, you know, They couldn't lose against OKC with how well he was playing, right? And they're, it's the last, fourth to last game of the season. And, and those two guys both love to play, which in the NBA these days is not necessarily, you know, the most common thing. And, um, you know, Buddy Hill had a, a great season shooting the ball. His defense is obviously a, a room for improvement for him, but he's going to try to play in all 82 games. He's going to make your offense better, and shooting is so important in the league. He's going to push for 300 threes in a season. You know, that's that's pretty valuable for the way the Pacers like to play, even if his defense isn't necessarily where the Pacers need to be. And McConnell, I think he's a good defender for a six-foot-tall player, but he is a six-foot-tall player, right, that does – kind of limit the impact you can have at that spot. But he is one of the only guys on this Pacers team that can get into the lane and can throw guys open with passes, right? Talbert obviously can, but they're kind of limited on the playmakers, and he was critical in that way. So, yeah, Andrew Nembard got better at it and could, could probably do it next year a little bit. But th- th- those two guys provide skills and experience that kind of no one else on this team has. So if their goals next year are really to take those massive steps forward, they might be important, uh, although I understand why, given their ages, the Pacers might – view it a little differently. And so Tony East covers the Pacers. Again, Locked On Pacers, WTHR Forbes, SI, and a lot more via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Have you figured out at all what you might believe right now might be an off-season try? I know you brought up those those two players as far as trade scenarios during the trade deadline a couple of months ago, being Bridges and Ananobi. Do you have any idea on what may be players of interest that could be potential targets this offseason for the Pacers in a deal? It, the, the hard part of thinking ahead... Tony, are you still there? The hard part of thinking ahead, dot, dot, dot. And then Poofy was gone. That's okay, though. I've marked the tape. I know where to go. Back with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We lost you after the uh, hard part, dot, dot, dot here. Continue. It's a fat face uh, hit the mute button there, JMV. It's a tricky numbers game for the Pacers this offseason because they've got three outgoing free agents, five draft picks, and a lot of cap space. So when you look ahead at free agency, it's like they might not have a lot of room to really – make something happen from a roster perspective. So their their acquisitions could be trades more so than, than actually adding a player. And it's really hard, too, because a lot of the best fits, like at the positions we've talked about, are, are guys that are on teams that are really likely going to want to reside them in those Chris Middleton, Jeremy Grant types. So the free agency pool is a little tricky for them to actually dive in and navigate because there's not a lot of obvious good fits to me unless the Pacers love someone like Dylan Brooks, maybe, who can play some defense and provide them with some oomph on that end of the floor. I think they're more likely to be a big trade team, just given that roster crunch scenario that I just described, where they just have a lot of picks. And Kevin Pritchard even said that. He said it's, you know, they kind of can't add five young guys to this team 
They already have a lot of young guys. They don't even have five roster spots. So I think they're more likely to be a trade team than a free agency team. And because that's so they, – they likely will be both. But in terms of significant additions, and that makes it really hard to identify targets because – when you get to trades, it could literally be anybody in the whole league. So uh, there are a lot of free agent names that make some level of sense, just given where the Pacers are. But the, the fact that they're in such a unique situation with the assets that they have to get stuff makes it really hard to predict who they could end up with. Kind of like my uh, life in this show, um, I'll give you a bit of gratification <laughs> for like three minutes or so, uh, and then we got to kind of move on after that, right? People start to lose a little bit of interest. That's been the story of my life forever. <laughs> Uh, so was so was if you remember midsummer and the offer sheet DeAndre Ayton signed and mm-hmm. we had uh, a couple of minutes where oh wow this is a big deal and everybody was excited or if you were me people were going what in the hell are we doing here um, that didn't last very long um, I'm curious if you were to ask them today are they glad that the Suns matched or would they Ooh. still have interest? had the Suns not matched? What do you think they are? That is, that is a great question. You know, he he didn't have the season that that he had last year, right? And the Suns are in a different spot now, obviously. Um, so his numbers being a little different makes sense. Like, he scored a lot, but didn't wasn't as efficient and wasn't as effective defensively. Uh, look, if they had eight in all season, obviously they would never have seen this Miles Turner season, and possible that Aiton and Turner have similar values right this second I mean I guess Aiton's younger but makes way more money per season and is is not necessarily the biggest plug-and-play playoff guy I don't it's hard to say uh, I think they're happy with how things turned out and things certainly could not have gone the way they did if they had Aiton on their team but at the same time I think if they did have you know a 24 year old young talent on their roster who can give you 18 and 10 every night on the inside and would be a great fit with Tyrese Halbert. And that also would be something that would make the Pacers happy. So I think it, it ended up working out really well, like, like unbelievably well that Turner was so good and the team ended up gelling in the way they did. But I think they would be in a pretty similar spot with maybe a little bit less salary cap space right now had they ended up with eight. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's okay, too, because that's that's really impossible. Again, with like a lot of this, Tony, we're faring a guess. But <laughs> I'll, I'll further fare the guess here. To me, they had drawn the conclusion that they were going to trade Miles. Miles was going to be gone at some point when they ended up doing that. And I am curious how many times in the history, for example, with this in mind of the NBA, when you sign somebody do an offer sheet like that, they go back to their original team and the person that was kind of left flapping in the breeze a little bit uh, comes on, has a terrific season, and then you extend him contractually. I, and listen, I don't know if that's ever happened, but it seems like <laughs> it would be it would be tough to see that ever happen because logically a lot of those players either A, wouldn't live up to it, or B, would be the hell out of here at some point. Yeah, it's, it's very rare that you know, the, the marriage between a player and team seems rocky and immediately flips that that quickly. Rocky might not be the right word. That sounds more like animosity than, than I think there was. But, you know, Turner fit perfectly and had all the, the opportunity that he has described in seasons past as wanting between playing the five and getting more touches. And he had a guy who can get him the ball at his best spots. And to his credit, like, he had to actually take advantage of that opportunity, right? And he did. He had 
the best shooting season of his career, basically from everywhere on the floor. So, you know, it's rare that something like that happens in the NBA. And even on the flip side, like a lot of times, you know, if, if a player shortchanges the team, it's hard for the team to come back around on that guy too. But uh, you know, in this case, Turner and the Pacers have to be the perfect kind of marriage. And that is extremely rare, but it worked out very well for, I think both parties with how this is trending. Chad Buchanan is coming on next week, so make a note of that because I am going to ask him that too. So I'm just <laughs> – listen, I know what logically you're going to say now, but just being honest, I just wonder how minds were changed over the course of how how Miles played up until he went ahead and got that extension and ran with it. So do you think at all, you think at all that he is on the market this offseason? Uh, well, like – Here's what I'll say. Like, if they get the number one pick in the lottery, I mean, <laughs> if Wembenyama's mm. a, a, a future pacer, I mean, you have to start thinking that way. What's going to be my uh, argument I, then if if it's like Wembenyama <laughs> over Miles? Am I going to have a leg to stand on in this? Uh, I'll let you decide on that, but I uh, I think that this Wembenyama kid's going to be pretty dang good. Um, you know, I wouldn't say shopping necessarily. I mean, there's – he fits well with what they do. He's young, he's talented. And like a big stat about their season to me is when Halliburton and Turner played, they were 26 and 22. Like that's yeah. a playoff team right now. Like not even adding other talent that fits with those two guys. Like with the team they had this year, they were a playoff level team when just those two guys played. And so, yeah, he fits very well and they're very good when he plays and he fits well with their star. Like that doesn't seem like somebody at age 26 that you'd be rushing out the door or anything like that. Now his contract is, exceedingly appealing to other teams at the at the level he makes and he's an extremely good player like i suppose it would make sense that another team might be interested in offering a ton for him and if you're the pacers maybe you think about it but just given what it sounds like they would like to do next year and how well he played and how well he fits with with the team they have i wouldn't say they'd be shopping him but i don't think anyone on the team stands maybe Halliburton and Matherin are completely off the table right now. All right, he's on the fever beat as well. The next hoops, we'll have Grace Berger on coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Locked on Pacers, WTHR.com, Forbes Sports, SI Pacers. Tony East helping us sort a lot of things out here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Appreciate you, brother. We'll do it again soon. Of course, thanks for having me. And sorry for muting myself like an idiot. That's all right, man. Happens all. Let's look who hosts this show. <laughs> Come on, man. Take it easy, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the morning show, Kevin Inquiry. It is weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. It is Kevin Bowen with us. So I know you guys like to joke around inside your lounge, if you will, inside your YouTube chat. And uh, I just wrote in there, I always talk about how different the conversations I have in there are than the ones I have on the air. Um, I just wrote, pulled pork. I find that term funny. Don't you? Pulled pork. Do you laugh when you hear that? <laughs> Uh, I can I can see why uh, you would you would laugh at that. Yeah, the uh, boy, the YouTube conversations. Yeah, you talk about anything goes. Boy, anything goes in there. That's crazy. I like to get them warmed up too. I'll drop in there during the uh, the midday show and try to get them warmed up a little bit, then get them fired up and ready to go. Though. <laughs> 
Well, and, and they might be enjoying, you know, a happy hour or two a little bit earlier uh, when you, you know, show up on air. So you probably get some very entertaining conversations. I mean, they're they're entertaining as hell at 7 a.m. I can only imagine what no they're doubt. like around, you know, 4 o'clock. All right, Kevin, you've long since been um, a detractor. You've been anti-Miles Turner around here forever, correct? Uh, I was more anti-both bigs uh, and sticking with that than necessarily anti-Miles Turner. Okay, well, we'll keep it at anti-Miles Turner. It's Kevin Bowen with us right now, (laughs) anti-Miles Turner. Um, I I asked Tony East this a moment ago, and not that it matters at all, but this is something I am going to ask Chad Buchanan because I am interested in it. Do you think at all, are they glad that Phoenix matched DeAndre Ayton at this point with that offer sheet last summer, or do they still wish that Phoenix hadn't and that would have gone through? What do you think? Well, that's a good one. I would say they are glad that Phoenix matched, which, again, I don't know if that's a comment I would have said six or seven months ago. I mean, obviously what what Turner did this season I thought was darn impressive. Um, You know, he – spoke a lot about being a solo five and, and the ability of you know, him thinking he can tap into more if he was given that opportunity, and he did that. And obviously the presence of Tyrese Halliburton helps a whole lot. But again, Turner, I thought did a little bit more just as a back-to-the-basket guy that he had shown early in his career. And then the fact that the Pacers handed him a contract – that doesn't hamstring you, you know, to the level that Aiton would. I, obviously, Aiton is a different player, and and you can make the argument certainly a better player. Um, but you know, right now for a team that's in dire need of defense, his, Turner's rim protection. I mean, hell, even with Turner, you're still a bad defensive team. Without him, you're a god awful defensive team. So, yeah, I think for all those reasons, the fact that you know he played pretty well, I thought maybe even better after he signed the contract. I think that's always a good thing you want to see. You know he's going to be hungry each of the next two years to try and get another contract, uh, which will probably be kind of a, his last major payday in his NBA career. Uh, yeah, for all those reasons, I was certainly skeptical about it, and and Turner and, and the Pacers, you know, definitely proved me wrong there. It's a huge Miles Turner detractor, Kevin Bowen Morning Show, Kevin and Query. <laughs> anyway, I was probably I, I, I was probably a little bit more Domas than than Miles. No, listen, and here's what's funny about it. I because obviously the Gonzaga connection loved Domus Sabonis, absolutely yeah. loved it. I took on, I think I took on the Miles support because I just got sick and tired of numbnuts around here just endlessly being all over him. I mean, really, zero support whatsoever. It was me, and it was a dude, a friend of mine named Greg. That was us on a bit of an island right there. So I I feel kind of good in telling everybody to get bent after this past season. And I'm sure that Miles yeah. feels the same way. Yeah, and it sounds like I was one of those numb nuts, so I will <laughs> I will certainly if we all want to get together somewhere one day, we can all have a beer and, and, and toast to that. Um, you know, again, we had Kevin Pritchard on earlier today and I said it to Kevin at the start, you know, there was certainly a a point in time, probably only like 18 months ago where the Pacers I thought were in a pretty dark place, like not great direction, not great modern direction. And by trading Sabonis, you, you, you got to an answer of like the style that you need to play with. And again, considering the defensive issues, you could certainly make the case that this team needed Turner more than they needed Domas. And Domas is a great player. I mean, hell, look what he's done out in Sacramento. Um, and, and that's why I think when you fast forward this, John, to 
you know, what this offseason looks like. I think when you get to any sort of player acquisition, particularly that lottery pick or if they make a big splash, I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is, is this guy a defensive-minded player, um, especially in that six eight six nine kind of wing four-man role? Because I know it's not something you say about today's NBA. I think the Pacers have enough offense. I think you've got to get somebody in there that changes your mindset defensively on the perimeter because, you know, Miles just at the rim, you're just praying and hoping that he saves the day time in and time out. It's uh, numbnuts and query in the morning from 7 until 10 a.m. And uh, numbnuts with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You know, you're right about that. And here's where I will become a hypocrite. Because I also recognize, because it's great when you score 135, but when you gag up 141 and get beat by six, that's not cool whatsoever. And that's that's the charted path that's in front of them. However, I look at a couple of guys under contract, and I'm thinking neither one play defense really, at, I don't want to say an unacceptable level, but not a great level, and there's really not much room for improvement at all probably just regression at some point defensively but i still view both buddy healed and tj mcconnell as essential pieces to this team's short-term growth and success moving into the longer term here do you yeah yeah and again it's probably not something i would have said with as much confidence even though i sounded a little hesitant um right there, you know, back before the start of the season, particularly McConnell after you drafted Nemhard, You know, I kind of thought, all right, what's really the need for him? But there's so many nights during the course of a season, I would say at least, you know, a handful of nights where you're just like, man, McConnell is a difference. <laughs> and it's just kind of wild to think that his style is not like just plaster on a scattered report for whichever second unit point guard is going up against him. You know, as far as Buddy is concerned, I, I think the, the only worry I would have there, I, I think his shooting is such a skill set that it's not going to fall off a cliff. He's extremely durable. He obviously stretches the floor, and he's really close to Tyrus Halliburton. So for all those reasons, you, you, you really like him. Um, if your starting lineup next year in the backcourt is going to be Halliburton, Heald, and Matherin, those are three guys that on the defensive end of the floor, for different reasons, very susceptible. Uh, to, to really bad defenders. Matherin's way too good of an athlete to be as poor on the defensive end as he's shown at times this past season. Halliburton, I think, is just more of a strength thing. And Buddy, I mean, you know, find a good three-point shooter that also can defend. You know, you, you aren't going to find that. So I guess he gets the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but if that's going to be the case, again, that kind of adds to the point of what I was trying to make earlier about if you're going to go out and make a three or a four move, that guy's got to come with a defensive mindset. Um you know, what Nemhard's future looks like, I, I, I'm i kind of curious about. Like, it, should he run the second unit? It, it, because, again, if that's the case, then what do you do with McConnell? Um, I think Nemhard showed this year he could be kind of an interchangeable piece. And so that's why I think him and, you know, TJ McConnell could coexist. And if you're starting to write things down on a paper, like what your second unit looks like, McConnell, Nemhard, Aaron Neesmith, Jordan Wara, that's a nice, like, four-man grouping with that second unit. Um, you know, you got to find out what Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, is, is there anything there, is there not? I mean, you, that is a question that I didn't feel great about exiting the, the season. Um, so that is a question. But, yeah, I mean, considering their age, I know it doesn't match up on the timeline, but I, I could, you know, I don't see any, like, rush 
to move those guys by any means. I think you'd have to be blown away. And obviously the offers would look a whole lot different. But I think you have to be, uh, you know, pr- pretty blown away to want to get rid of Buddy Heald and or TJ McConnell. Where's Chris Duarte fit into this equation moving forward? Yeah, I mean, does he? Um, I, I mean, I, I think the the jury is out on this without question. I'm just wondering if you believe he has a seat in this room. Yeah, I don't see it. I and mean, again, I just kind of mapped out to you what, what I would envision the second unit. I, I know that, you know, Wara is probably the, the shooter in that unit. I know based on the size, he's not necessarily like a two guard, which is where you would slot Duarte in. You know, it, it's certainly been a disappointment. I know health has played into it, but, you know, anytime you draft a guy of the age of Chris Duarte when he left Oregon, you're thinking, all right, you need to help us right away and be very consistent early on. He had a, you know, really nice stretch certainly early in that rookie season, but just hasn't been able to be consistent with that. And, you know, when you look at that draft of Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, I mean, all of a sudden for – the different stretches of, of hope and promise each of them showed, now you're sitting there, and, and I don't know if I would, again, put them into the top eight or top nine guys when you're even talking about the team moving forward. Um, so that is a bit disappointing. Uh, again, when you factor in as rookies, I thought both of them, in, in their different ways, had some moments. So, yeah, I don't I don't feel good about Duarte as or I certainly don't feel confident about Duarte as a must have guy moving forward. It's uh, Kevin Bowen, Morning Show, Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. weekday mornings here on The Fans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Uh, so, uh, obviously, the whole Lamar Jackson stuff, I, I'm assuming you guys probably did as well. I put that to bed long ago. Um, do you think that that – how much of that, I guess I should ask you, has to do with where Jim – believes and wants his position among the vocal owners, the the mouthpieces of the owners in the NFL moving forward because they don't want guaranteed contracts filtering in here, and that's what Lamar Jackson right now is all about. Do you think that if he didn't want that, that there would certainly be interest in Lamar Jackson where there is zero right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think you'd be naive to act like that's not a factor. You know, it's something that I've said with Jake. I've thought ever since his Daniel Snyder very public stance, Jim feels like he's carrying, you know, he's about ready to light the Olympic flame, and and he's carrying carrying that torch for owners right now and and holding it, you know, extremely high and and, and just – feels like he is the steward in NFL history, especially from an ownership side, means so much to him. So I do think that's a factor. I also think at the end of the day, you know, if the dude had no questions on the field, (laughs) I would like to think you could overlook that. Now, granted, Baltimore probably would just have re-signed him or given him whatever the contract that they feel like he deserves. But I just think there's real questions with Lamar Jackson from his health and his playing style that – even Chris Ballard and or Shane Steichen would have to have and could not ignore. And but we saw we see how extremely frugal Chris Ballard is now. Can you imagine what he's going to be like if and when he ever is working with a quarterback, making the amount of money that Lamar Jackson supposedly wants or some of these top quarterbacks want? We know what draft picks mean to Chris Ballard. Now, can you imagine giving up two first-round picks and – you know, next year's draft, you know, could be pretty generational as well. So 
I, I don't think it's just like the GM and the head coach would sign off on it if the owner would sign off. I, I, I don't think we're there, but I also think to your point, you know, Jim says. I mean, I, I know it sounds cliche, but I mean, it is in his blood. I mean, he is like, he is such an advocate for what the Maras and the Hunts and the Hallises and insert your, the Roonies, you know, insert your famous NFL owner name here for what those people meant to him. And he feels like it's his job to carry that on. And if that means sitting out this situation, and he's going to be a big advocate for it. But, again, I think there's some other stuff on the field that gives you pause as well. Do you think that – let's just get hypothetical here. Do you think that going back to last year, and let's just say well, – we'll try to time this all pretty closely together. You know, after Jacksonville and that disappointment and shaking your fist during the game and wanting to get rid of Carson Wentz right then and there and then ultimately putting down that uh, – that mandates you got to get yourself a new quarterback and go out and do it right now. Before he got out front and spoke regarding Daniel Snyder, uh, back when he really needed a quarterback of that level to turn things around and to you know make up a lot of these promises that had uh, gone without results. Do you think a year ago, if the same situation with Lamar Jackson was was happening, that he would have gone for it with this group then? Boy, that's another good one. You're on your game today. I hope the Reds play as well tonight as yeah. as you are. Well, you know the whole bullpen, the whole bullpen thing. It, it, they can play as well as they can, and then you hand the ball off to the bullpen. I had Lance McAllister on yesterday just to let him go off oh, about that. Great. So, yeah, he, I, I watched it. I know it's like I, watching the Reds. It's like the person they choose at the Atlanta games to run against the freeze. Like you're able to get out to the lead and then your bullpen, right. once the freeze, you know, gets out to run in the outfield, that's when the bullpen gets in the game. Um, well, I, I would say this on that hypothetical. I think if you had one last year of Lamar's injury history, you might be more willing to do it. I, I think the fact that you have these back-to-back years with him getting hurt in December, uh, both in the lower body. And if you look at, I mean, Baltimore has played, I want to say they've played 12 games in December and January each of the last two years, if you combine the last two years, 12 games in December and January, and Lamar's missed 10 straight. Again, if that number was just one chunk, if it was a five-game stretch like he had, you know, back falling the, or I guess into the 2021 season, then maybe you could overlook that or say, ah, oh, that's, you know, that's a fluke and, Honestly, I think part of it would be you would have some fresh blood. It, 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 some, it would be fresh in your mind of what he did to you on Monday Night Football as well, which would probably add to it. Uh, but the fact that you have two years of it, which you know, obviously this year he missed a whole lot of December, uh, that I think is just too much to overcome. So, yeah, if it was this time last year, yeah, yeah I could see him doing it. Now, can you imagine? And I, I talk about this a couple of times, and again, this is just me guessing. But we often wonder because it—I forget who said it was either—it was either Frank or Chris that said it took them about ninety minutes. It may have been Frank. Ninety minutes of tape to watch Matt Ryan to be sold that he hadn't lost much and he was going to be good to go. And then you think about it—it it took us like what a half a football to to understand that he didn't and it wasn't and it wasn't going to go that way I, I think that they rushed to that judgment because of what 
the mandate was from Jim Irsay about you got to do something now, anything now, but this is not going to be the guy. And I think that's how you rushed to what was clearly such an inaccurate judgment. Yeah, I, I think they fell in love with him between the ears, too, and just thought that his intellect and his professionalism and his leadership would – they could just out-chess match people. And I think they, they really thought that would be the case. Honestly, I don't think they thought their whole line would cripple either. And, and yeah, I mean, Ryan's arm looked, looked, looked shot. Um, and, you know, I mean, you know this full well, John, but pretty much how the offseason unfolded was – you know, once Ursay gave that mandate on Wentz, you know, Ballard said to Frank Reich, all right, you look at all the free agent quarterbacks and yep. you tell me who you can win with. So he looked at Mariota, he looked at Winston, he looked at Trubisky and Dalton and, you know, all those, frankly, nobodies and said, and, and went back to Chris and said, yeah, we can't win with any of these guys. And that's when Chris said, okay, let's let the Russell Wilson domino play out. Let's let the Aaron Rodgers domino play out. Let's let the Deshaun Watson one play out. Obviously, Wilson didn't lead to anything. Drew Locke just, you know, went to Seattle. Uh, Rodgers never got moved. And then the Deshaun Watson one, of course, led to Matt Ryan. So it was almost like they were just kind of backed into a corner of, hey, uh, we can't do anything really in the draft because our first-round pick is gone. Um, let's look at these free agents and you, you know, pray that you fall in love with one of them. And when none of them – you know, it got them there. They said, all right, let's wait for Watson. And at that point, it was Matt Ryan or who? I mean, I guess Winston, you know, maybe would have been, been the guy there. But I think they um, – I think we, going from Wentz, there were so many issues with how they felt like Wentz handled things professionally. They knew they weren't going to have to worry about that with Matt Ryan. They just fell in love with it and didn't really factor in this dude might be walking up the 18th hole. Yeah, I, I just it was a to me it was just a complete rush to judgment. All right, this is somebody name. Okay, we can do it here, and you know, we, yeah, I think you're right. You know, talked into it by somebody that's really good. Matt Ryan is, is good at that. I mean, he came on this show, and I asked him, you know, about the next two years, and he said, I think I have at least four more years. And as we saw him, it didn't look like he had four more quarters. So, just. How wrong that evaluation was, I think that that was the rush to judgment because of how embarrassed Jim was in that Jacksonville game and how much he decided at that moment during that game that he no longer was going to have Wentz as a quarterback. And I think that's, that's, I think, basically how we end up here right now, is it not? Long form? Yeah, I I keep on going back to, like, last September, John, and thinking to myself, how many times sat in that press box and looked down and I thought to myself, is he hurt? Like that, that can't be Matt Ryan's full arm. Like that, that, there's no, that thing is a 76 mile per hour fastball. And it, it was just such, I mean, to feel a phrase from Jim Mercer's Twitter account, it was shocking awe when you were watching yeah. Matt Ryan play quarterback. And you know, today's NFL, you're not going to threaten an opposing team at all vertically. And by vertically, I mean like eight yards down the field, 10 yards down the field, unless it was a, you know, Alex Pierce jump ball, you weren't doing anything. Uh, your offense is going to look bad, and it obviously was more than bad last year. All right, you guys got Costas on tomorrow. We do, yeah. Uh, Who did that? Costas Who do you give credit for Bob Costas? So uh, you know that I teach down at IU. I have Bob Costas's niece 
in my class. <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> I didn't know that you taught at IU. You teach at IU? Yeah, I, th- I thought, yeah, you, you've had this conversation. Did I not know that? If- Maybe I didn't know that. Yeah, you, you told me if you ever wanted great, you know, Eastern Green Green County Radio Talk. That Ooh, you want to bring? You, know yeah, you can bring me down there. I'll teach him something. <laughs> do you have a good? Do you have a good class? I'll say you guys yeah. are. I'll say you guys are dumb as hell to ever want to do this. What are you doing? <laughs> we do appreciate honesty. Uh, we, we, yeah, I mean, we better quit this right now, man. This got to be a hey, uh, pull the rip cord and go a different direction on this stat. <laughs> yeah, can I change my major this late uh, into my into my four years here? Uh, but yeah, Costas spoke to our class a couple weeks ago. He was outstanding, um, and you know, you know, he's just unsure. I mean, the dude's like crazy famous. Yeah. Like, how, how's he going to be? And you know, I was I told him thank you, and and, and he seemed pretty genuine. So um, yeah, I got his email, and uh, he's going to come on with us at nine. And you know, obviously, you think about him on a national scale, it speaks for itself. No, but, you know, locally, true. I mean, you know what his relationship with Bob Knight and, and the stories he did down there, I think, is a definite angle. Obviously, he had a huge presence during those Pacers Bulls series. Yep. And, are you going to you know, are you going to ask him about his pink eye during the Olympics? Do it. Yeah, I, I do don't, it. I, I don't. I don't know if that'll be on my list. Do it. You know, I, hey, I, hey, I, give I, it to I, give I, it to Query. Tell Jake. Tell Jake. Say, hey, man, can you ask this? I think this is important. And have Jake ask about the pink eye he had during the Olympics. I feel like if you kind of drum up a nice, yeah, about those Russian Olympics when you got the pink eye there. <laughs> Anything food related on that front there? Did Jimmy Roberts cut one on your pillow? What happened there, buddy? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing about it is, boy, that was like a Willis Reed type effort because I felt like yeah. the eye was just getting worse and worse, and he still came out there. Tell to, him, uh, tell him this. I got to run here, but tell him this: you should have gone with the eye patch. The glasses didn't quite cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Jack Black Costas leading us into night seven here from Moscow. Oh, make sure Jake <laughs> asks that question tomorrow. Right. What time for Costas tomorrow? 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock tomorrow for Bob Costas. You got it, Kev. Appreciate you, man.